Welcome to another episode of the Frankie Lee Podcast. Our mission, to empower others to break patterns, flip perspectives, so that together we have clarity, direction, and success way beyond what we ever previously thought possible. Here's your host, Frankie Lee. Welcome back to the Frankie Lee Podcast. Today, guys, we have, well, the champ is here. That's all I can say. The champ is here. Caroline Buchanan, five times mountain bike world champion, three times BMX world champion, dual Olympian, Australia's darling. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Frankie. You've done your homework. Yeah, You've well, got your cereal you, box in yeah. front of you. <laughs> yes, she is. We're off to a great start. <laughs> no, honestly, yeah. You, you can't, I can't. Honestly, well, the, the funny story though, I booked, I booked you as a guest because we've got a mutual friend. And um, and then I was, I was I was I was writing down the questions this morning on my pad, and then I went to p- got some Nutrigrain. I see you on the back of my Nutrigrain box, and I'm like, <laughs> I recognise this chick from somewhere. I swear. But anyway, <laughs> that was, white car theory. Yeah, I was, like, I was I was like I was like so I've got my notes here. Look, I, just just to prove on YouTube, right? I got my notes here, and I got my cereal box here, and uh, yeah, I, not even I can fuck this up. Do you know what I mean? Not even I can fuck it up. I think the best place for Absolutely us to start unstoppable. Well, yeah. that, that Nutrigrain box is actually. When I was probably like 10 years old, I don't know if I manifested it with my dad, but starting at the age of five in BMX, I was this little like tomboy, followed in my brother's footsteps and, you know, it was this little BMX girl. And basically like we would always eat cereal in the morning and one day we saw the swimmers on the back of one of those Kellogg's Uncle Toby's boxes and my dad was like, there needs to be a bike athlete on the back of here one day and we spoke about it. I was like, one day I'm going to be on the back of the cereal box, dad. And then all these years later... I um got an email and in my inbox it was sure enough Nutrigrain. This is a great place to start actually because I was going through your website and I couldn't believe how many brand deals you had for an athlete. Because like you have a lot of brands that back you, don't you? Yeah. I've hustled. <laughs> I right. guess you could say how many female BMX athletes have you ever known to make a career out of it? I'm really the only one that's hung in there from the beginning. Um, And that was like a big part of the hustle is like a young age. My dad just said, you know, like, if you want to make a career out of this, like, you really need to take this serious. Let's build your brand. Let's really start marketing you. And I was like, what's building a brand, dad? This is before social media even existed. So I think having him being in an IT background was a massive support for a young girl wanting to build a brand in a sport that I couldn't see my future. So to be something that I couldn't see, to not have role models and girls that were doing it, it was, um, yeah, really the unknown. Give me a bit of an insight into your dad then and, and how he knew so much about branding. Cause it's quite clear when, when I went on your website that you're very well branded and, 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 you know, you've, you've understood from a young age that building, building the right personal brand to go alongside the sport is what needed to be done. Yeah, well, my dad, he's in IT. I really don't know to this day what he does. I know he works with Amy and Suncorp and those big brands on their, like, fax MSX side. Um, But, yeah, basically, he really helped instill it. He was not only my coach, he was my dad. He was helping me build my brand. So, wore many hats. I think up until about the age of 14, I 
basically told him, I just want you to be my dad and retired him from everything else. But um, we just started really young. Like he was building the websites for like the Australian BMX community at the time. And I'd signed one of my first clothing contracts with a brand called Unit. I was 13 at the time. They literally had two t-shirts, one female, one male, a couple of stickers. Like it was the roots of, of Unit. And um, yeah, I had started with a signature collaboration with them I had my own gear I would have been 15 and we started making these like little gifts on this website like the banner ads directing the BMX community to this signature line that I had so really like pre-Facebook pre any of this we were already like making templates and hooking in and figuring out how we could like filter the community back to um, not only building my brand presence but selling some merch so I think all these little things I was so addicted to that like process young and um, yeah, I was saving for my first car, a Holden Ute. So I was stacking it away. <laughs> that, that's mad. But did, did your dad, did your dad clearly explain to you when, when you, when you, when you was building this, like that you are building a brand here? Did he, is it something you clearly articulated? Yeah, I wouldn't say building a brand. I would say like building your marketing and like your worth and really like building a network. So when he first helped me start building my website and he introduced me to like mailing lists. Yeah. So I was, you know, maybe 15 at the time. And um, I went away on a trip to Europe to race and I taught myself Photoshop and basically the whole Adobe package. And this was one of my school projects. And so from really a young age, he was collecting emails for me, start like linking me up with mentors. We went and had coffee, for example, when I was nine years old with Robert D. Costella. He had a coffee, I had an orange juice. Um, so he was just linking me up with marathon runners, Olympians, like people that I could talk to. He was really that backbone of going like, I was talented. I really wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to be surrounded by the best. So he just helped push that. And he wasn't afraid to ask a question. So when there was a pathway like the ACT Academy of Sports saying, no, like your daughter needs to be 14, he was like, can I pay for her to be in here? Like she wants to learn the foundations of movement. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was all these little pushes that really just like built, I, I would say, a solid foundation for an athlete. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's really done you a good service there because obviously like putting you in, in, in the right in the right place with the right obviously you were in with mindset coaches and stuff. Give me, give me, give me an example of some of the other mentors that you were around at that age. Yeah. So then Lane Beachley, she came on at about 14 years old um, with her aim for the stars scholarship. So I applied for that one online. I applied for the sport Australia hall of fame scholarship as well. So I'd had a few scholarships. Um, at that point I'd been traveling to the world championship since I was nine years old. So Already at nine, I'm traveling to Paris, um, racing the state level. I was a national champion and really eyeing off those like world championships. So around this 14, yeah, around this 14, like Lane Beachley called me and she just said, Hey, like you've not only won my scholarship, but I believe in you. And those words for me to hear it from this like iconic Australian seven time world surf champ, she was in an action sport and she really had to pave the way for women surfing. So, so she helped me really realize and took away a few limiting beliefs for me that she was like, one day you're going to be a multiple world champion. And no one had ever said that to me. So for someone just like her to plant a seed and then 
to set a benchmark. I was like, oh, I'd love to beat your tally. Like, let's get to eight and gave her a call up when I did. So it was pretty unreal. <laughs> how, how how powerful is it, though, for a young person, like nine years old, to be getting in, in with these mindset people, you know, to get in the right, you know, they're, they're passing on their wisdom and they've already, they've already achieved top level at sports by this point. What, what age were you actually when you started BMXing? So I was five years old when I started BMX. I was 15 years old when I started mountain biking. I wish I'd started mountain biking earlier. Like to any athlete that's out there that does two sports and people are telling them to specialize, don't specialize. Literally, if you're good at multiple things, do multiple things. Um, as an athlete growing up, like I was interested in golf, tennis, taekwondo, like <laughs> everything that I could do. And I think that really like laid an amazing start to my career. When talking of like mentors, I think one of the biggest ones was a guy called Tim Chad and he now runs a chain reaction cycling event in Australia and um, they raise millions of dollars every year for charity. And he would give me daily tasks and so we just like check in and every week it was like add 200 people on LinkedIn. Here's how you write a proper email. Here's how we're going to evolve your mailing list from your like kind of thing that I designed to MailChimp. Like it was just like he would just help like step it out and like I thrived on it. I I just love the fact of how your whole career, ever since she was like five, six, seven years old, everyone's been like build brand, build reputation, build (laughs) contacts, build a mailing list. I mean, when when I um, mentioned on this podcast with uh, Paul Moore and James Smith and other top top entrepreneurs and people that have done stuff in fitness and that when they've they've all touched on the power of having an email list and how important it is now obviously that's something that that you're that i want you to really instill into the audience today is like how how much that's changed your life because you've obviously you can you what i was trying to explain to people then is like you can contact your customers and potential people that can support you for your whole career and you own the data whereas like there's so many athletes out there that you know they're focused on all this other stuff, which looks great, all the social media, but they've not, they've got nothing tangible because they don't own the data. Oh, one hundred percent. And that was um, one of the things that this mentor Tim helped me as well. It was like you know you talk about millionaires having like seven sources of income. Well, as an athlete and an entrepreneur, you've got to have multiple revenue streams. And what you're talking about with owning like the data and your content, any opportunity I could to like take a little risk in a gamble. I wanted to not only like own some of the content that I was producing early, so really kind of threw it out there quite young, worked with IMG, and basically it was like they said to me, you need to front all the money to do this. I was going off to a world tour, so seven stops around the world, wanted to win the overall World Cup series for BMX. I was 19 years old at the time, so about 10 years ago, and they said, you know, it's going to cost about $30,000 to do this. You're going to have nine episodes. You've got to have your crew. This is the format we need it delivered. But if you can do this, it'll go on to the airlines. So the in-flight entertainment systems of yeah, 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 yeah. Qantas, Lufthansa. And I was like, right. <laughs> I not only have to probably win this overall World Cup series to really make this an amazing story, but um, I've got to outlay it not knowing the returns of ever dealing with TV and airline and in-flight entertainment, all this stuff. And I was like, all right, I'm all in, like, let's go. And I think a few of these gambles really paid back that I think I broke even at that point. But what it did was it meant all my sponsors from that point 
had content. Anyone that came to me, I was like, oh, here you go. Oh, here you go. And then um, working with like a media liaison, we started packaging it to the TVs. So we really had to hand feed the Australian media. It was like when we'd come back on a Monday and the AFL grand final was on, no one would have searched for how a BMX girl just did in Freju, France. But because at that point I knew how crucial it was, I hired a media liaison, so Sharon Payne, her name was. Um, she worked with Australian Cycling, and we'd make sure that this content that I owned anyway that was going to IMG would basically go to the TV stations, and Fox Sport would have it. And um, it was like a really big task initially to not only grow my brand, but to grow the sport of cycling yeah. in Australia. Because yeah. I knew once that came up, and it was a bit more of a household name than the support would come down the track. So, yeah, it's been fulfilling because now I look back and I mentor young girls and I help girls in my scholarship programs and, you know, I'm instilling all this into them about The getting, importance of owning your IP. Yeah. 100%. And getting 100%. emails. You know, just start hustling and creating some systems that you'll use for the next 10 to 15 years of your career. I know, I know so many, so many women, I know so many women that are successful online that do not collect emails. And I was, I was saying like, please, for the, if you do anything, just collect emails, like put a squeeze page between you and, and, and the content that you're putting out there. Even if it's like, even if you're doing OnlyFans, don't send them directly <laughs> to OnlyFans, get the email first and then email them about your OnlyFans link. Do you know what I mean? Like get the emails. Yeah, you exactly. you, you want to own that data. Don't, 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 yeah. go, don't go, because so many people are, are beholden to platforms and they get, yeah. you can get literally, you're on, so you've so you got all these, all these women that are successful online, but they're all on rented ground. Yeah. And like prime example, that Nutrigrain box sitting in front of you, it's like the agency that I deal with, they're, they might be on social media, but the CEOs and that of these major corporations, they're yeah. not on Instagram on a Monday morning, but they're in their inbox on a Monday morning. So yeah, 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 when yeah, I come yeah. back from events, like I just was over in Germany and landed a world's first front flip. I still, to this day, make sure I go back to my mailing list, send out my mail report, and um, yeah, it definitely goes a long way. You landed the world's first front flip. Break this down for me. I did. It was weird. So when one door closes, another one opens, and I had really invested a lot of my time in the last year and a half prior to the Tokyo Olympics to rebuild my body. I knew that I had to go from two and a half years out of the sport with injury to being back on the front line of BMX racing, I knew some of my deadlifts and lifts that I had to do. I knew I had to get to 140 squat, 140 deadlift, and a 90 kilo power clean. How did you calculate? About how did you calculate to that position? How do you how do you break it down to get to those numbers? So they were like similar targets I'd had in my career, and I knew that at about 65 kilos, that if I was outputting that strength, that that equates to about 21 watts per kilo of power through my pedals onto the bike. I love About 21 watts per kilo is like that Olympic level in racing. So it was awesome. Like it was really good because I had some set targets and it was like I knew that even if I didn't get to that Olympic Games, my third Games for Tokyo, that I was going to able to build my body back so strong to take on whatever the next challenge was in my career. Because this, because this was on the back of a, the the off road accident, right? Yeah, it was. So, 
coming back to Germany, like I got a phone call and it was like, Hey, you haven't made selection for the Tokyo, Tokyo Olympics. Um, and then the next day I got another phone call. So I was wrapping up my BMX career. That was my last stone that I really wanted to turn. And, um, Audi nines called me this action sport event that had started in the snow world. And they said, Hey, this is the first year we're having women. Can you come over to a, a quarry in Germany and, you know, be amongst these first nine women in free ride mountain biking to take on this course, ideally set worlds first, and they're going to broadcast it to all the media. And I was like, I'll be there. Let's make it happen. And this was and this, and you'd never touched a mountain bike before this point. Touched mountain bikes, yeah, um, but not, not one, the kind of level we're talking about well, here. No, like I'd won world titles in a discipline called four cross. It's like kind of like border cross in snowboarding, moguls, jumps, four people head to head racing but not in freestyle. So yeah, it was really untouched territory for me. I was naturally transitioning at that point anyway, that I was really involved. I just rebuilt my backyard, set up some airbags, invested into making sure that I was going to be safe to do it. And as soon as I got that phone call, it was like, all right, well, I want to start learning front flips to this airbag because I know no mountain bike girls ever done it. And if I can fly to Germany and, um, leave the country, escape COVID, get over there, land the world's first, don't get injured, come home, quarantine again, boom, like successful mission. And that was what I did. So so how do you, you know, you said you landed it for the first time. Obviously you land it in training before you go and land it in the real world, so to speak, right? How, yeah. do, you, how do you go about getting the confidence to be able to go and even start to attempt something like that? <laughs> um. Similar processes that I've used my whole career, uh, little things like just acknowledging fear mindset, acknowledging those voices that tell you you don't need to or, you know, do it tomorrow or it's not the right perfect conditions, whatever it is, acknowledging that fear mindset and then really just owning that five seconds of courage. I have my own like little mantras that work. So for me, one that I have is like, Caroline, you're extremely talented, smile and just let it flow. And yeah, I love that. that lasts like 10 seconds to literally put a smile on your face no matter how terrified you are, instantly it lets your body be that performer. It lets you do what you are born to do. And So you're letting go of that all that little, judgment. Yeah, letting go and just that reminder to like flow and not allow your mindset to override your ability. So when I drop in, I just go through the process and fortunately now we do have airbags so they can take a big brunt. If you crash, it's not going to hurt too much. I wear all my protective equipment. I wear a mouth guard because I've had multiple concussions in my career. And um, I pad up and you've just got to send it that first one and then break it down from there, whether you have to speed up the rotation, grab more brake, tuck over the front more or whatever it is. So I'd landed three or four to my airbag at home in Australia, in Canberra. Yeah. And when I went over there, the setup was a much taller lip, shorter takeoff. Um, I knew that I was going to land deep. So fortunately, like I brought it around first time and um, yeah, walked away with the world's first and was stoked. So I'm all right in thinking then you launch off a ramp and then, you, and then there's an airbag set up. So you do the trick and you land on this airbag then. <laughs> yeah. So everyone that's listening now, tune into Caroline Buchanan on Instagram it's um, wow. at CBCannon68. I've documented it all on there. So oh. from some of my first front flips to my airbag, everything you see is majority in my backyard 
See, Canberra. I, I didn't watch that bit. I, w- I was watching some of the BMX in, and that was some crazy shit, I tell you. Like, no word of a lie. I don't... Yeah. I, 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 I don't... How do you, how do you get, I don't even know how you move like that. Like, do you know what I mean? You're flinging it around these corners, like, stuff, and over jumps, <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on here? Crazy Super stuff. Super fast twitch. I eat my wheat bix now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But honestly, like... That that is some that is some amazing athletic ability. Let's let's just take it back because I want people to really understand what you've come back from. Because I know we touched upon it, but we didn't go into it in depth. Obviously, you were you were doing really well, successful athlete, and then obviously you had a bit of a you had a massive setback in your life with an off road incident. Just bre- just break that down for people because I presume because I really want to go into the mindset of how you come back from from something like that. Yeah, it was. Wow. Well, it was one of the hardest things I've ever faced in my life. Um, The hardest thing as an athlete was losing your identity. And I think to this day, it wasn't the surgeries. It wasn't the complications. It wasn't the pain and the actual injury. Losing my identity in something that I found was like at that point, I only resonated with Caroline Buchanan, eight-time world champion, two-time Olympian. This is all I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, become you. Yeah, so I think it was like a really big process for me to take a step back, to learn that I was enough as a human, to learn how I can continue to inspire with my scholarships and things. So that was really like the healing process of like going through two and a half years out of my sport. The actual accident itself, it was New Year's Eve of 2017 um, on a private property outside Kuma, no cell service. And I'd just come home. I'd lived in California for 10 years. So I was home for Christmas, New Year's. And one of my friends, she was driving down a fire road, clipped a stump and rolled it. And I was in it. We're just going back down to the campsite. We weren't going that fast, maybe like 25K an hour. But it was yeah. enough for this thing to roll. And what happened was when we fell out, I tried to grab my friend and like sort of help her from not hitting the steering wheel. She fell out and the buggy missed her. And unfortunately, when I fell out, I'd gone into that race zone. I'd had so many crashes in my career that everything went slow-mo. I was able to see that we're going up an embankment. We're about to hit these trees. We're about to roll. So everything went slow-mo. I managed to drop to my back as the vehicle was coming over me. I spotted the roll cage. So I was able to grab the roll cage as it went over my chest and as the weight of the vehicle went over me, it crushed me, but I was holding it like in a bench press position. So all I just told myself was like, just don't get pinched. Just press this vehicle as hard as you can. So as it rolled over me, I just rolled with it, pressed it, went underneath it. And I knew straight away something was really wrong. Um I hadn't like heard snaps. I didn't know what was going on. I'd never really like, I'd broken bones in the past, but I'd never done any internal damage. So when I got up, I looked at my friend and luckily she was knocked out, but she was fine. She got back up. I had hit my head, was a bit concussed, but I was there. I was breathing. I was conscious. Mm. We managed to get back in the vehicle, get down to the campsite and really round up our friends. One of my friends, he'd punched a lung before. And as soon as he saw me, he's like, I really think you've like done a lung. Cause I explained to him that what it felt like was if you have a balloon yeah. and you like take a deep breath, there's no walls. So you don't feel like you get this like expansion. It just dissipates and you feel like your air gets lost through your body. 
And as soon as I said that, he's like, you punched a lung. Like, we just need to, like, get you to a hospital. So 45 minutes to the local Kuma hospital, New Year's Eve. I was in the back of the car. I had a broken sternum, so I completely snapped wow. my sternum in half. The two sternum bones had punctured my heart wall lining. So the heart wall lining was now bleeding out into my two double punctured pneumothorax lungs, they call it. Wow. Um, so then both my lungs are punctured as well, and they're both bleeding out. Um, and, yeah, I was really struggling for my breath, for my life. And I said to one of my friends, you know, we'll just – luckily he – done it before so he did a guided meditation literally takuma it was like in one two out one two in one two we just went he's using meditation to calm your body oh yeah yeah and um so super fortunate he'd done that because it really helped like control that pain for me i'd done a lot of breath work in the past on our high performance australian camps We'd done underwater training. We'd gone into those states of you're lying on the bottom of the pool and you've got to wait for that trainer to tap the rock before you can come up for air. We'd done that. We'd done chi breath. We'd done meditation retreats. Um, I knew a little bit about breath and I knew how to implement it for my sport. I knew how to control my breath in the last 10 seconds before a gate start to get the optimal starts. But I didn't know how much it would really affect my life and how much it would save my life in that moment. So with those in one, two, out one, twos for 45 minutes, we got to Kuma hospital and I'd said to my friend, you know, I think when I was realizing like, what's in my chest, what could I have done wrong? Like what damage have I got? He's like, don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. And, um, I turned to him and I just said, you know, I don't want to die. I'm not ready. Like I've got so much to achieve. And that was the only words that were really spoken in this car ride. Wow. And get to the hospital. They can't, they don't have an AMBO there because it's New Year's Eve. They're coming back from Canberra. Um, They couldn't airlift me. So we had to wait to basically get an ambulance to get back to Canberra. It was four hours from the time that I had the accident to getting to Canberra Hospital into ICU for them to actually like drain my lungs and Kuma wasn't able to put my lung drains in. So, yeah, then I don't really remember the next, like, five to six days in ICU. It was a bit of a blur from that point. But I vividly remember, like, almost every breath and that entire experience to get me, I guess, to safety Um, and how much I just went into this zone of they had, like, my airways and everything, like, tubed and bagged but I could just sense like a little bit of breath and I would like follow it from my nose as far down as I could and then like consciously follow it all the way back out. And like, yeah, I guess that trance like really that's, helped. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So honestly, me survive. that resonates with me so much when you talk about the power of the breath. I've been doing breath work now for probably about three months and I can honestly say, life-changing life-changing like the power of breath and so my breath coach Lino was explaining to me that when you first come into the world you start with breath so you should always come back to the breath because that's where all the power comes from so Mm -hmm. it's like like explaining explaining to me and I, I tell you now when you breathe the way that you that you've just described and you connect with yourself you get lost in 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 this kind of trance 
Mm-hmm. It's like you go you go to a different. I know it sounds a bit woo woo, right? But you go to <laughs> you go to a different you go to a different place that you've never been before as a human being when you've when and you and you can't and you and you can kind of observe yourself and 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 how you feel in that moment and and then it's like if you, especially if you're someone like me who's I, I didn't realize this but I had a lot of trapped emotions mm-hmm. in my body from like you know breakups with girlfriends like all this stuff that had gone on with my family in the past all this stuff and you can literally like purge out all the trauma from that you've got stored in your body by using the breath and it's some powerful shit. So when you just said that and and how that's guided you through this whole journey, because you're talking four hours, four hours, you, you've got, <laughs> you've got, you've got, um, you've got lacerations to your heart. You've got yep. a punctured lung. You're, you're, you're bleeding into your lung. Like yep. that's four hours. And then I've got a snap sternum. They've got a neck brace on me. That's pushing wow. on this broken bone. They've got me like tubed and everything. So I'm just like strapped in, like feeling so claustrophobic in this ambulance, everything, like just trying to lift this neck brace off, trying to get as much air in, you know, they're trying to help like me at the same time. Um, The amount of comfort that you can feel by focusing on your breath in a super uncomfortable environment, I realized not only saved my life, but it's a big part of my life and my career. So how Being a female in yeah. male-dominated action sports, it's my job daily to become comfortable yeah. when I'm super uncomfortable. Like a lot of people always ask me, like, how do you just like not have fear? And it's like, oh, I have fear. Like we all, we all do it. Um, but it's been a really powerful tool to then take it into learning new tricks, to lining up on that start gate, to returning to sport again and use that breath work to then bring it into a performance state. For, for some context for me, because I think this will help a lot of people that are are getting ready for like big events in their life, be it, you know, even even like wedding days, of events where they're nervous and all this stuff. From the mind of an athlete, someone like yourself who does it at a high level, what kind of preparation do you put into getting ready for, for those massive events where you've got to be on point, on purpose, in your full authentic self, turn up and not have that fear. So how do you prepare yourself from like six hours out up until the event? <laughs> well, I think for me, it's like a few systems, really important systems. Um, one is every single morning when my alarm goes off, that iPhone note says three things you're grateful for. So every morning it's like three things, no matter what I'm grateful for, can't be in life in general, just specific to that day and cannot be repeated from the day before. So really honing in on that, really being present to the day. Um, With my breath work, every time I drop in for a trick or every time I'm about to drop in for a race, the little cheat sheet, I guess, is like three fingers below your belly button. That's like your energy center, your core. Really, if you can tap into putting your fingers there and just trying to breathe into that spot, any movement that you have, so if you have that sensory of feeling it through your fingers or whether you can feel your pulse or whether you're just trying to visualize breath going there, that little bit of awareness really harnesses your power. Um, That was what helped me win a world title after choking out at an Olympic Games was just that one key movement. Um, That's sort of something that's really stuck. And then I go through those positive affirmations I've spoke about. So that little reminder, taking that five seconds of courage Um, and then the breath work, what's funny now is it's 
because I'd done a lot of that work early, like yeah. I'd worked with a chi, chi guy and worked on meditation. I'd been to a Buddhist retreat um, on the south coast at Nantian Temple, I think it's called. We'd done work in our high performance camps. And then after my accident, I went and did a seven-day, like, 90% noble silence. It was the gnarliest Buddhist retreat I've ever done in California. So, nine, 90 days? No, it was seven days, oh, seven, 90% was, oh, noble was, silence. I was going to say so, 90 days. Wow. Like seven yeah, days, it was yeah. basically like you're in silence with people you don't know for seven days in this, like, full, like, there's the monks, the sisters, um, you have to get up before the bell every day at 5 a.m. And, you know, you're sitting for 45 minutes in that first session. You'll have two-hour meditation classes. Like, it's full on. And this is um, to learn more about yourself and self-reflect. Is that, is, that, is, that, is that the right – is that the thinking behind this? Yeah. That one I tapped back into after my accidents because, right. funnily enough, like, that breath saved my life. But any time I struggled – to either push into a performance state where I felt like I was out of breath, boom, anxiety would hit, trauma would hit, or any time that I had to physically think about breath work in a yoga class, again, it would be like, boom, I can't do it. Like your body takes score of your life. And my body had a lot of trauma to live through. And so initially I didn't want anything to do with it. I avoided it. I was like, let me be comfortable and I don't want to like even – not have breath or think about breath. Just let me be in this zone. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, so that retreat was something that I did to sort of really push myself back into feeling comfortable sitting within myself and really healing a little bit of um, that trauma from the accident and from recovery. Do you think one of the one of the key things in society today that, that most people don't do enough of is enough of sitting with themselves in silence? And kind of really understanding <laughs> yeah. who they are, because like I kind of, I, yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like everyone's always trying to be busy, yes. always trying to keep their mind active. And I kind of, I, and one thing that I've learned from on, on a personal level is is just to sit there and be, even if it's just fifteen minutes a day. It's just like sit there and be and sit with yourself and kind of feel mm-hmm. into like how you actually truly feel, and 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 don't judge yourself for the thoughts that you think of, but kind of just observe those thoughts and and try and figure out why they're there. Yeah, and we're creatures of habit, and being a professional athlete, I've realised that you just have to build it into your daily schedule, your daily training. So for all those gym junkies out there and people that already have their routines of CrossFit, whatever it is, one thing which was amazing with breath work was after you finish your session, you are amped up, you're hyped, you're full of adrenaline, all these endorphins, and you generally leave the gym and you're still pinned when you go to work and you're still pinned throughout your day. But one of the things that I realized as an athlete is you need to recover as quick as possible. So yeah, 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 I would yeah. force myself to after every single gym or training session, throw my headphones on, lay down, literally just breathe, zone out of everything. And it was like, boom, timer, 20 minutes, go. And then I would eat, then I'd leave the gym, then I'd move on for the rest of my day. And uh, that was just like a really simple tool and something that I stuck to because there really wasn't else, a lot else throughout the day or times that I'd be super dedicated to me, my breath and having that moment but I knew that that would help me recover and that it would really help my like neural system recover quicker for the next session. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I think I think the power of breath is phenomenal. I honestly think, and like you're saying, it's in, in regards to routines and that. Obviously, you we we're doing this. You're in quarantine. You've been in there what nine days? <laughs> yeah, nine days. A lot of sitting with myself in quarantine, and this is the fourth one I've actually done. So fourth um, quarantine. So can, can you because obviously you've done four quarantines, and and yeah. we're talking about two weeks each quarantine here. There must be a lot of learnings through doing that much time on your own in a confined <laughs> space you know with everything that's going on in the world you give me some of the learnings that you had through this and how you set out your day in quarantine so you win because a lot of people aren't dealing with this and I kind of I kind of think we could put a bit of context around it yeah I mean it's easy because in a sense I know that it's only 14 days so I can really target it but once that 14 days goes you can then plan the next 14 days the next yeah um it's a bit interesting. It is a lot like prison <laughs> in a sense. Like, I don't know what two months would actually be a sentence to someone else, but two months in a hotel room is a challenge. Um, for me, initially, the first time I did it was coming back from America and one of the very first quarantine flights. The next time I went to Italy to compete in BMX. The next time was Germany for a mountain bike race. And then now is heading to New Zealand. This will probably be the last one I have to do, which is unreal. Yeah. But what's really gotten me through it was... The weeks leading in, I would write all my lists down of things that I've been avoiding, adulting, admin, aligning contracts for the following year, any gaps or things that like I've gotten away with that you just don't really fully invest time into, whether it's phone calls, just catching up with people, things that you don't do on a regular basis, I would write it down and that would be like my target. Then you break that down into like the daily schedule, making sure you get up at the same time every day. We're fortunate here that they messed up our room system, so we have two. So luckily, one's like our gym workout room across the corridor and one's like where we sleep. That's really helped like split up the day because when you work where you sleep, where you live in one room, it's quite mentally draining. So you've actually got two rooms? Here in Auckland, we have two rooms. Like This is the best scenario we've ever had. And we've also got... The Auckland system, you're allowed out for 30 minutes for a walk each day. So there's a caged off pen, a caged wow. off pen um, on one of the car park levels that you can also go for a walk. So booking in your walk time, getting it at the same time every single day, having those routines, doing hit sessions, so like little gym workouts. I've also got a spin bike, so doing some of my repeatable spin stuff, getting in my training. Um, but then also doing ROMWODs, so like mobility stretching. For me, having that like space in your mind creates or space in your body creates space in your mind. So, yeah, I think ROMWODs has really like saved me and having to do those longer 45-minute ones every day that normally you yeah, just hit the yeah, 20. Yeah, 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 but in yeah. here it's like you have no excuse. So the 45-minute one it is. <laughs> So you set, you literally set out your whole day, like wake up time, reading time, meditation time, walk time, yeah. meals, everything. So you just fully dialed in. Yeah. And it actually really helps like the days go quicker. Um, just in notes on your phone. So just top of my phone, have the same thing laid out for tomorrow. Like get up, brekkie, romwood, call with Trek, one of my sponsors. I've got another podcast with uh, Jenna Louise, another fitness girl. So her podcast tomorrow, yeah, you just like lay it all out and tick it off throughout the day um, and get sun as well. Like She's I in think Sydney, that girl. Part of it. I know that girl. She does IFBB, doesn't she? Jenna Louise. JL. Yeah. Uh, 
or WBFS? She was in Sydney, but now she's moved back to Canberra. Um, she actually has wrote me a quarantine program. So what a girl! What a girl. Sort of, yeah, cracker. So I've actually been following her programs. Um, I think it's so, her... I think it's so. I think it's. I think it's so important. I can't see it, but yeah, yeah. I think I know. I think I know who that is. But yeah, it's it's, it's so important to get that structure right because. But, but sometimes in my life, I've, I've felt like I've lived within too much structure, and I think I think that's that's also hindered me. What, what's your, what's your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? I mean, you you you're someone who's ever since nine years old. The 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 key thing from this conversation that we've had today is the fact of like everything's been like you know what you're dialed in, you're dialed in, you're here, there. We're doing this because of this. We're doing this because of this. We're doing this because this. Like when yeah. when do you ever get time to to fully lean into your like? creative and freedom of thought type work yeah well for me that's my writing so I be that kid that never grew up like I still ride a kid's bike for a living which is pretty freaking epic um I love it so yeah. that is my creative space like yeah. that is my play I'm that BMX bandit you know um yeah. to break it up like the quarantines it's all adult for these 14 days but when I get out of here and race and compete in Rotorua and um, besides picking up a laptop from Microsoft and doing a campaign for them um, and competing, I'll tick that off and then I'll get in the motorhome and then the next two weeks is like literally just shooting epic content, riding, collabing with Tourism New Zealand. And then I compete for another 12 days after that. And when I get back to Australia, then I'll probably adult again. So for me, you know, like I've just really break that time up, be super dedicated now be on top of everything, um, but then shut off <laughs> and enjoy the ride, and then I'll check back in later. So if you email me, I'll probably answer it. <laughs> so, 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 your adult, so your adulting <laughs> section is where you get in, you do your contracts, you do all your branding, you do all your email stuff and all that kind of, all that kind of admin, life admin stuff. That's your adulting side. And then your, 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 yeah. your, what you truly lean into is just literally like BMXing, workouts, BMXing, workouts, BMXing, workouts. Yeah, essentially that yeah. that's just that's just the game. Do you, do you ever have any downtime? Like for a BMX, like I don't know this right, but I know in boxing you do twelve week camp for obviously to for, for lead up to a fight. You know, in the amateurs it's slightly different, but let's just say as a professional athlete, you do twelve weeks lead up. Is that how you mm-hmm. break it down with BMXing or or, or a mountain biking, or do do do, do, do is it just a constant? You just a constant thing. You just have to keep that stamina up. Yeah, well. Doing two sports was a little different. Now I'm purely only mountain biking. So, like, my schedule now is awesome. When I was full-time BMX racing, coming into Olympic Games, it was, yeah, your three gym sessions a week. They're two hours long each. Heavy bike time, sprint, skills, recovery, massage, chiropractor, like, you name it. Um, that's full on. You live, eat, breathe, sleep, getting to an Olympic Games. And that is really from February through to December every single year. You really only have like a month off to check in and then you're back on again. So the dedication to that is huge. Mountain biking is a little different, it's a little bit more relaxed because the brand side of it, the endorsement side of it, the fun, the content, the riding, the lifestyle is like a bigger picture. So this next week, for example, in New Zealand, I'll compete in pump track, speed and style, slalom, whip off, like all these different mountain bike categories. But in between, it's, you know, I'm helping host. I'm doing, like, commentating. I've got to check in and do interviews. Got to do a Microsoft campaign, like, things like that. So it's really juggling, like, the full aspect of 
it, which I'm enjoying at this part of my career now. I, I love it because I wouldn't I wouldn't have expected you to have like things like a Microsoft campaign with like an extreme <laughs> sport. It's just not because like if you said like Red Bull, I could understand or some or, or some yeah. energy drink, I can understand it. But like I wouldn't have brand I wouldn't have put your brand with Microsoft. So how did how did that co- <laughs> how did how did that collab come about? So my partner is a content creator, John Pruddy. He not only rides moto as well, but his company Vibe Imagery, which I sort of tag on all my posts. Fortunately enough, he's my partner as well. So in-house, we can really get a lot done to service the brands that I work with quite easily. So that's a really like healthy, fun relationship. Um, growing up, I had a couple of managements over the years. Sporting managements generally take about 20%. They didn't really invest into me as much as I wanted. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. they're going to do the bare minimum and you're a commodity to their numbers and whatever other athletes they have. So then I found another really good management system where I actually paid them on like a retainer and their hours of work, but they took nothing from the endorsement deals they provided. Yeah, That worked really well for a few years. And then now I've partnered with Two Palms, which is an agency in Sydney, Ed Ringwood and Harry Sweeney. Ed came from five years at GoPro. Harry came from five years at Under Armour. They've joined. They've now got a creative agency. They look after the likes of Sarah Day, uh, Kurt, her partner, myself, um, Danielle, who's a skier for Australia, a couple of athletes, but more so along the lines of your Amazons, your So Delicious, those kind of partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they've just been really good about aligning the brands to an athlete like me and the talent and some of the partners that have come through have been like the last six months with Ford Australia and partnering with their Her Ranger campaign. So yeah, just shooting really organic content of me using the Ranger, driving it, loading my bikes, incorporating into my lifestyle. Um, Yeah. So like these things are really fun and I enjoy it. So whilst you think like, why, how do these like brands align? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Palms and myself, we've really sort of made it work. What I've, what what I can kind of see for, from speaking with you is like because you've been so authentic and you've kind of known from the offset that you know no one's going to invest in me as much as I'm going to invest in myself. No one's going to back my brand as much as I'm going to back myself. And because you've done that from from literally like nine years old onwards, it's just like. It's every every everything that you've got now is a byproduct of those instilled things from 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 that childhood. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like if there was right, if there was a failure that you've had in life, what perceived failure? Obviously, it's led you to where you are now, so it was never a bad thing. But if there was a favorite yep. failure that's taught you the most about yourself and about life and about and the things that you have to do, what would it be? Ooh. Choking at the Olympic Games, 2012, London. I'm on the start gate. I'm the world champion, won every round, won the quarterfinal, won the semifinal. I've got first lane pick. I'm walking up to the gate. I should have gone lane one inside advantage. David Beckham staring back at me, seeing him on the big screen. (laughs) The royal family, thousands of people. And all of a sudden, that failure was I went into a defensive mindset. I started thinking about my competitors, the British girl just signed the Red Bull contract, all that kind of things, you know, who she is. Oh my God, she's 80 kilos. She's going to cut me off. So all of a sudden I went defensive. I went, this is my race to lose, not I need to go lane one and be on the front foot 
have that whole shot and stick to the process that got me there in the first place. So that little switch of like that optimistic mindset, being on the attack, I went into that defensive. It was like, oh, I just need to like protect this goal. I need to protect these assets. I need to like, I need to not lose. This is my race to to win kind of mindset. So I would say that's the biggest failure. Um, How I rebounded from that failure to get into that real offensive mindset really was the following year I was like, I'm going to set out to win three world titles in three countries, three energy systems, three different sports in one calendar year. Won the BMX world title in New Zealand, won the mountain bike four cross world title in Austria, got fifth in the downhill world championships in South Africa. One calendar year, walked away with two world titles in two different sports, two different energy systems, made history, Australian athlete of the year. Everyone's pumped. I was so stoked and it taught me that lesson of going, that one mental shift was that offensive, defensive mindset. That's all it was that changed a failure in Olympics and choking and getting fifth to smoking everyone a few months later and winning world titles. And did it just happen on the starting blocks? Is that the first time that you felt fuck like the, and <laughs> started to think about all this shit that you just, just came, came with that? Is, is that, is that yeah. when you really started just on the starting blocks? Yep. Just walking up for that Olympic final. It was like the blinkers on that racehorse were on all day long. Same process, repeat, same process, repeat. Boom, I walked up to that Olympic final and all of a sudden it was like I was aware of everything, every camera. As I said, David Beckham, like I was so linked in to just like everyone staring at me. And, yeah, it was that quick little shift and everything derailed. I missed the start. I was seventh in the first turn, fought back to fifth at the finish line and saw those medals in front of me. I just, I- there must there, there must have been some form of change in the pattern of events that led up to that race. There was a big moment with my coach at the time, right, and okay. we actually didn't speak for like twelve months after that. <laughs> talk, talk to me about this. He, I, I, knew, I knew there was when I was uh, there, there was an element, and I, not full blame on him. Again, I yeah. take ownership. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was that mindset that I could have changed in myself. Yeah, but he had an inf- influence on it, and. When I went up, it was like, oh, what, what lane should I choose? Yeah. And him as a coach and a leader in that moment, if you have an athlete in doubt, you should say, lane one, inside advantage, go. Like back yourself, whether, whatever it needed to be for that athlete. But for me, that's what I needed at the time is that little bit of positive reinforcement to stick yeah. to the plan. Yeah. And um, he said, you can win from any lane. So he took a step back put right. that ownership back on me and that accountability. Right. And I went, oh, if I can win from any lane, I'm going to go lane three. I'm going to not get cut off like I got cut off. The fastest gate starter from Columbia was on the outside of me and everything derailed. Um, so, yeah, few little key factors. If you had choice of any lane then in any race from now on, would you always pick that if, you are, if you're still BMXing, would you always pick lane one? Or does on it, or majority do- of tracks, yeah, it's normally right, that right. inside advantage. Were the others were the other athletes surprised that you hadn't picked lane one? The well, we actually had a really good conversation. Me and Shanae's Reed, who was the British favorite, who had lane pick after me, that I was concerned about her influencing my result. Um, she was in the same mindset. She was shitting herself, you know, and she was yeah, doubtful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She ended up blowing the start too, so. 
she was surprised that I didn't go lane one, you know, because for me, she was putting me on a pedestal and I was putting her on a pedestal yeah, and yeah, both yeah, of us yeah, ended yeah. up weren't being in this mindset to deliver. So, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it just, it's just amazing. It? Had you, had you up until that point in every race, had you picked like lane one? I'd always picked the most inside lane that I could. So right. if you qualify well, they give you that inside. The further out you qualify, just you just basically get fed the next result. So it, I was in that position of power to go, I have this lane one handed yeah. to me. You just got to take it. It's almost, it's, all, it's almost like because the coach said to you, look, you can win from any lane you choose. And it's, become, it's almost kind of like, well, you, 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 not not so much ego, but your internal belief can kind of take over and say, oh, okay, well, I'll just go, you know, and you, you just make the weirdest decisions that aren't really authentic to you in that moment. And then, and then this happens, yeah. but obviously if that hadn't have happened, you wouldn't have had the fuel to go and do what you did and, and obviously win these two world titles in the following year, you know, d- achieve the other, the other as well. Like that's, that's some, yeah. that's, that's some mad, so it's been a, mad comeback. It's been a, a great thing to learn and then I put, took that into obviously other goals in my career as well in sport and life and now with the girls that I mentor with my scholarship programs I tell them the same thing I had a, another motocross girl that I've been helping this week and she does the same thing you know she loses that self-belief she puts in so much work and training gets that final delivery moment and she starts unraveling and I've said to her like have you ever sat there and just like thought about you've earned that space you've earned that position because of your past to go that whole shot to the first turn and um she's like no I don't think about it like that she just talks her other opponents up and um I was like own that spot and start like you know whatever it's got to be like if you need to swear at these girls in your head or this little bitch isn't going to cut me off whatever it is I was like if that's going to work for you that's how you need to approach it and that's your success recipe so trying to help them create their success recipe it's, it's similar with this podcast caroline right i get i got caught up probably about 10 episodes ago going into this competitive mindset that i'm trying to fight everyone else do you know what i mean and and i sat there with myself in this 15 minutes of silence like i was talking to you about earlier with this breathwork stuff i'm sat there and i'm thinking to myself no one can really compete with you because you are a different type of human being to everyone else in the marketplace. So in podcasting, yeah, there could be 2 million podcasts out there, but there's only one Frankie Lee. There's only one someone else. There's only one someone else. You you can only turn up as the best version of yourself and put that out there. So why are you, why are you trying to look this way and this way and trying to compete with these guys? Because it's just a totally different niche and totally when I got when I got over myself like that it kind of freed me and, and I started to flow <laughs> that's again. awesome do you know what I mean because it's all about getting over yourself like you get you get to you get to you get too like self-critical of your of yourself and start to yep. and start to build up like there's this fight between you and someone else when really even with even with you and what you said I mean, you built it up on that, on that, on that, on that 2012 Olympic Games. You built it up as if it was a fight between you and this British girl. When really, the only, the only fight there was was between you and the best version of yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? Definitely. And it's, I I, I think, so many of us are getting, getting this so twisted. Get out of your own way. Get out, get out (laughs) your own way. In regards to like some of your biggest mindset tips in order to get out of your own way, what, what, what could you kind of give people? Well, I think for me, as I said, it's that little mantra, like in those moments where I want to back down, I want to let fear take over, 
that little reminder to smile and just like to tell yourself like you're incredibly talented Caroline smile and let it shine I think in Australia it's really I moved to America for 10 years for my career and Americans are like hey I know you and you're like sick and I know someone and like you know let's have an amazing time they really hype each other up they hype each other's success yeah Australia's got like a real tall poppy syndrome about it that Everyone wants to support the underdog. Hey, Frankie, when you launch your podcast, this is sick. We're going to support you. But, oh, when you get good and you start making money and you're successful, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know, like you're getting a bit too big for your boots. That happens so much in sport. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So being your own biggest cheerleader, like it's okay to love yourself and to hype yourself up. You've got to love yourself, you know, and all, I think like, that's a big here. part of it. All starts here. All starts with you. All starts mm-hmm. with, everything starts internally. Like there's people, it's 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 one of the biggest realizations I've had in my life. You know, like like I just said to you, like I spent my whole life trying to prove a point to who. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I was, I, yeah. I literally, I was literally in this breath work, Caroline. I'm not even joking to you. My, I've just cried out loads of emotions with this with this coach I got called Lino, right? And I'm sat there in this trance, obviously in this trance, and I'm in a different place at this moment in time. And, and I'm and I'm literally saying to myself, like, what, what have you got? Why are you trying to prove all this shit? Like, where does this come from? Like, mm-hmm. but human beings consistently build these walls between other human beings and 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 build this competition that doesn't need to be there, that isn't actually supportive of where they're going either. So it's like they're just constantly, yeah. constantly building the put block by block. They're just building obstacles in their way, and then wonder why that the, that they keep producing the same patterns. You know, it might be with women, it might be with men for for, for girls with men. It might what, why you attract the same type of lesson into your life is because you keep building the same patterns that energetically you just keep repeating. Yeah, and I think you broke that pattern even like today. You're the first podcast I've ever had that's gone. How can we make this epic? You know, mm. I don't think I've ever done a podcast that someone said, what can we do to make sure that this outcome's set? And it's like, let's not dwell on the past for 40 minutes and then have yeah. a five-minute chat about the now. So, yeah, well, same thing. Let me, let me put that into context for the audience, right? <laughs> because I, no, I want to explain, explain it, right? Yeah. This, this podcast is, 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 my, is my biggest passion in, t- in terms of like what I want to do with it, right? I, I just want to give value to people. I, I fucking, it lights me up. Speak, get to speak to people like yourself. It fucking lights me up on a different level. The question I asked Caroline before the podcast is, if this was the best podcast you've ever done, what kind of things would you, you know, what kind of things would you want to touch upon? How would you want to, how would you want to feel about it? And all this kind of stuff I started to ask her. And like, like Caroline says, no podcasters are asking those questions. And the reason why no po- podcasters have asked that question in my, in my personal opinion is because most people that do podcasts are doing podcasts for the wrong reason. They're doing podcasts because podcasts are the thing to do, but it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it lights me up. I fucking love it. That's why I, I, I put the attention to detail into it because I want, I want the best outcome for you uh, when I share your story. And you said to me, Frankie, I don't want to dwell on your past. And that's why we've not gone too much into like, you know, the bush coming back from the bushfires and all this other stuff. I, I, I was going to go down those avenues, but we've not been down them. Because, because <laughs> yeah, because I've had of, a lot of things in my life, but because, because, yeah, as because, you said, you know, yeah. now it's, this is a podcast I'd love to share. So it just goes like a long way. Yeah. Of, and I, 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 I love, I love, I love the fact that you, you resonated with that question and, and it's something that, 
that that's brought this because all this stuff that we've got on the mindset stuff and 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 the coming back from adversity and and even even the breath work the breath the, you got to understand caroline what caroline said about breath work is so fucking fundamental like in term to all of you out there you should all be doing some form of breath work practice because you're going to learn so much more from about yourself by looking inward everyone's mm-hmm. out there trying to grab this external validation on instagram this to, do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not the play. It's not the play. Have it, yeah. Have you ever seeked um, or found yourself seeking external validation? Had to rein yourself in from it. One hundred percent, of course. Um, it's not very often that, as a human, you just tell yourself you're enough. Yeah. And it took me to go through two and a half years of all because I not only had my accident, I had thirteen surgeries and thirteen anesthesias after that. Mm. Um, my first sternum plate snapped. So then they go back into my chest, cut me back open, open chest surgery, Fucking go back hell. in, throw another bolt in, another plate system. That one also doesn't work. So they go in a third time. So three medical complications, you can imagine each time they go in is a minimum of $40,000 US, depending what bolts they use. That's just the base rate. So you not only do that, you go in, It's you sign a dotted line that says this could be 50% mortality rate if your sternum bone gets infected in this surgery. It's so close to your organs, your heart, your lungs. Big risk. And so to go into this every single time, it was like back to back to back to back. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. Yeah. A it's, lot. It's, it, that, that is so much to go through as a, as a, as a, as a woman. Was were you in a relationship at this time as well? Were you, were you being supported by supported by your partner, or what was going on in that respect? Yeah, so it was like it was an interesting time in my life. I forget the, what was the actual question you we got into. This? I, I can't. No, I we, we got we got we gone on we gone on a tangent now. I, 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 I mean, think I, it was about worth and saying like you're enough. Yeah, for, yeah. It was, and it, talking it was, about yeah, yeah, yeah. and talking about validation. For sure. I've had my identity in who I was as an athlete, the Instagram followers, the whatever, the fame, the scholarships, the endorsement deals. Um, Yeah, and then when you lose everything, you strip it back and you be literally sat on your ass for two and a half years, like from life. Um, Yeah, then I had to tell myself, like, you're enough as a person. You're enough with your values, your core beliefs, who you are and what you stand for. It resulted in me going through a marriage and a divorce very quickly as well. Um, But it really filtered out for me in that time frame, not only a lot of hurt, friendship circles, divorce as well. How long were you married for? (laughs) This is shameful. A couple of months. (laughs) You, whoa. <laughs> I love this podcast already. Um, let's you can go, do, let's you can go, do the let, you can do the math, but um, let's basically, go, how long were you seeing him before you got married? Ten years. So, okay, so this, so, okay, so you were with you were with this guy ten years. Yeah, he's got down on one knee. Mm-hmm. He's like Caroline, will you be my forever, my forever <laughs> person? You're like, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. How so at this did, point, how, how I just only... like lost another Olympic Games. Oh, I right, was like right. distracted by that. Right. Okay. You just like put another band aid on in your life. Um, so the marriage, was, yeah. The marriage is what you class as the band aid that was put on. So he, <laughs> so he proposed to you after you'd lost the Olympic Games. Yes, an Olympic Games that he also didn't attend because he was too busy racing. So there was a lot of levels of like. It was a very bad relationship. I, I, um, I sense a little bit of needle in that when you said that. 
<laughs> yeah, it was the best thing that had ever happened to me, yeah. that injury. And I truly believe now after doing the meditation retreats, the breath work, mm. life gives you who you are, not what you want. And for me, I wasn't living the most authentic pathway. Um, and I think life really did just like give me what I needed in the terms of the accident, the complications and it really led me to wean out my friends, my relationship at the time. When I went through that divorce and moved back to Australia to my roots, it put me back in this path of really truly who I am. And from there, everything really started to flow so much more authentically. I think at the time I was really trying to like push a ball up a hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. a struggle. We've, and we've all, then we've, we've, all like, we've, we've, we've all pushed those balls up those hills. Trust yeah. me, I, I, I've I've been in I've been in those um, type of relationships or tried to have those relationships where it's like you constantly just trying to keep pushing this can down the road, and internally yeah. you know, hang on a minute, if this person was the right person for me, they'd lean in as yeah. much as I'm trying to lean into this. Like that, that's just a fact, and yeah. a lot and a lot of. A, this this is a this is a very good point because I want to say this to everyone who's listening. Right, it's like don't listen to what people will say to you. Judge only judge them by the actions that they make towards you. And it's yeah. like a lot of the 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 women that I have dated in the past would say these say these things that I would love to hear in in this moment. But then the delivery on what they actually did in relation to what they said at the time was was there was a disparity. And I imagine mm-hmm. I'm just assuming here, which is bad, which is bad, but maybe you can put some context around it. I'm imagining that is a similar thing to what was happening with you in your relationship. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's very challenging when you work with someone that you live with, and for me, we're both doing the same sport, the same goals, the same life in one roof. So yeah. work always came home. There was never that separation. Um, it was just never going to work from the beginning. Um, was but tried to always make it work. Was it competitive? Oh, definitely. There was a lot of resentment in the end. Um, did he, and get, I think, did he get yeah, world now, titles? Sorry, what was that? Did he get world titles? No, no. So for anyone who's successful, I think you don't, need to have someone that's just successful, but you really need a good support network that someone's going to bring out the best in you. And funnily enough, like in this new relationship that I have now, I really needed that self-worth as a human. I had amazing self-worth as an athlete, but as a human, I didn't really value that as much. And yeah, you know, when you really like go through COVID, you go through these delays, the Olympic calendars, injuries, setbacks. Yeah. It's really nice to be grateful and to slow down and to have that support network. So super grateful for yeah where that's led me. <laughs> so ha- so how how so just to put it into into context and for the people that listen to this, how important is it to have the to to to, to make sure you're you're aligning yourself with the right partner if you if you're going to have one like it, it, from, from you just summarize it for me. Oh, crucial, especially long term because. I think some of my amazing success in my earlier career was probably due to having an unhealthy relationship that, you know, I was never enough. I was going to never going to be enough. I always wanted more. You do more. You have to be more, do more, be more like this just constant cycle. 
And um, that's never going to last full time. So, yeah, I think for anyone, stand true to your values um, and what is really important to you. And, yeah, pick those people that align with that. Like it sounds corny, but, yeah, all of those love languages, how you thrive, um, you know, and now I love it because, yeah, I've got a partner who's super creative. He's into moto as well as content creation, videography, photography, got a successful business. Um, but yeah, he's really passion driven, but wakes up every morning and does his three gratefuls with me. And yeah, we're quite aligned in that. So there's, very important. there's two things I've picked out of what you just said there, Caroline. It's just the first, the first thing is like, obviously making sure you align with that person so that they're the right person for you. And then the second thing I think is the fact of like, not the, the key fundamental here is that no one can can love you until you love yourself in all areas of who you are the darkness and the light so loving yourself as a sports person like you did but not loving yourself on a personal level when you got home is probably another reason why there's a disparity in as well obviously it led you to the right to the right thing now but obviously that's something we can all identify with in ourselves it's like loving the darkness and the light in, in, in all of you it's something i've had to come yeah. to terms with myself as a man it's like i I loved the, this ideal Frankie over here and, and this 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 front-facing one. But sometimes when I got home, I did, the one I was sitting with was like, oh, you know, is he enough? You know what I mean? We All all men go through this. All men go through it. Like, if we, do, yeah. if we don't talk about this kind of stuff, then no, no one feels like it's okay. But, like, men and women all go through this. Like, it's okay to go through it. But just understand you cannot be loved until you love yourself. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. So be your best cheerleader. Tell yourself you're enough. Yeah. And celebrate those small wins take those moments um i think it's super important i love it. it's powerful if before we leave this podcast caroline if there's one thing that you could if you if there's one thing you could leave the planet with yeah and you you couldn't you couldn't leave no bikes no signed gear no digital products nothing like that but just like one piece hash of, browns one piece of wisdom <laughs> no, no no not hash browns forget hash browns we don't want hash browns, I love hash browns. yeah you, you can have hash browns after the podcast but if there's one thing that you could leave the world with like that's the one piece of distilled wisdom that you just want to leave beyond your lifetime, what would it be? Oh my gosh. No pressure. That's a very deep question here. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of deep questions in this podcast. Just good memories, really. That's all we can really take to our grave with us is the memories we create. So you, you, live them to the fullest. Yeah. Yeah, so you're basically basically you're more about the appreciation of what of of the time that you spend with the people that you're spending it with. Yeah, and those moments that you should lean into that you generally don't. Those fear moments. Those, like for me, recently going to Germany, it was I could have sat at home. I didn't need to, but it was like yeah. I'm going to delve into the unknown, prepare, go away, a lot of high risk, um, and accomplish it. So to lean into it to accomplish and to build those memories that's yeah what you walk away to in your grave um and I think one thing that really like helped me through the last couple of years was the saying that like this too shall pass so every time I snapped another bolt in my chest and needed to go through another nine month surgery and recovery it was like this too shall pass there's always going to be another hurdle it's always going to be another setback so what can you do in that day in that moment to be the best version of yourself I love it. I love it. That's, there's so much. There's so much wisdom in this podcast that you've distilled from from being a high level athlete. That I think is just going to hit people right between the eyeballs. 
Awesome. Really it. Can you drop your Instagram, your website, and all your, all your links? I'm going to put them in the show notes as well, so that people can follow you, drop you a message, and all that razzmatazz. Can you drop I'd that love that. Me? Yeah, well, yeah, my name is Caroline Buchanan. You can search it on every channel or on Instagram. It's at cbuchanan68. Um, my scholarships are my Ignite scholarships, all tagged through there. So if you're a business and you want to get behind Igniting Girls Dreams in Australia, I have that scholarship system. We're about to hit $100,000 of support going Legend. back into women in sports. So huge target. Legend. And guys, if you can do me a solid favor, yeah, drop me and Caroline a message on Instagram. Let us know how the podcast hit for you. I hope we've delivered a mass amount of value in your ears on mindset, on getting things right, on coming back from adversities, coming back from injuries. All this razzmatazz that Caroline's been through and distilled on you today. Caroline, again, thank you so much for your time. Guys, do us a favor as well. You know, Share this with your friends. You know, Leave a comment on Instagram as well. And yeah, honestly, like all, all of it's all of it's appreciated. And thank you very much for today, Caroline. Thank you, Frankie. <laughs> much love, guys. Don't forget to subscribe to the Frankie Lee podcast.